If you now, if you would turn to Jude chapter 1, one chapter of Jude, uh, we are doing a three-week series in uh, the book of Jude, and I'm inviting my good friend Greg Hook. Would you welcome Greg up with me today? Greg Hook, uh, my good friend, uh, Greg is... Um, we decided that we would go khakis and flannels today for your viewing pleasure. Um, Greg is on our leadership team at Two Rivers Church. He is uh, a co-area director of the Ministry of Young Life here in our community. And he and Sarah and their boys have been a part of our church family for a lot of years. And Greg and I have been just engaging together about Jude uh, via meeting together, phone conversations, text messaging, Uh, Over the last few weeks, both of us have just felt a real stirring uh, in this book, both personally and in our ministry and shepherding people. And so um, we thought it would be fun to kind of co-teach this a little bit, a little uh, podcast conversation, if you will. Mm. And you will. I knew you would. I knew Mm. you would. Together, So let me give you a few things uh, quickly uh, by way of just summary about where we've been. The series is called Contending for the Faith. That's a phrase out of verse 3 in Jude. And it's the whole point of the book is he's calling the church to contend for the truth of the gospel. These are serious times. And uh, the church needs to understand the serious realities that they are going through, which is false teachers infiltrating the church, teaching them a message, a false message, that grace means that we get to live however we want to live, and we don't have to live under any authority whatsoever. And so his call to the church is to contend for the faith, the truth of grace. And the truth of grace is that grace empowers us to overcome and to be rescued from the law and the bondage of the law and the bondage of sin in our lives. Contend for the faith is Jude's call. Um, He was writing in what he believed were the last times. We're still in the last times. And so um, his message is serious because we live in serious uh, times. Um, Three things that Greg and I are going to talk about. Um, Oh, let me, this is where we were week one. So week one, uh, this was two weeks ago. God is serious about his grace and his love. He bookends it with this beautiful reality of new covenant grace and freedom. We talked about that two weeks ago. Last week, we spent time uh, talking about that God is also serious about his justice, his holy justice and his uh, righteousness toward evil. Today, Greg and I are going to be looking at verses 17 to 23. God is serious about our perseverance in the faith and about our mission as a church to show mercy. Uh, this will be where we are today. So, uh, Greg, first question. Jason. We've been dialoguing. We've been having some fun. Yeah. You look fly today, by the way. You look so good. Yeah, thank you. I love you. Um, we thought it would be fun just to hang out up here, so we're hoping that you guys are going to enjoy the two of us hanging out. This is an excuse for us to hang out. Yeah. Really. So give, um, yeah. give us just a flyover of just how Jude in general has kind of grabbed you over the last month or so since we've been talking about it. Give us, give us just some of your initial thoughts as we've engaged this. I'll do that. Um, uh, several months ago, I... Uh, wanted to read um, the last kind of epistles that were written um, as men were kind of in the twilight uh, years of their faith. They were in the evening hours of their life and they were looking at the church and they wanted to write to us. And those are in our scripture. It's a, I went to First and Second Peter, First, Second and Third John and Jude. Those are all written really late 
like in the 60s, 70s AD. And they all resonate with this, this, like this body of work with these three different men looking um, at the church and then looking over the edge and being like, here's what's coming. Jude captures all of that really succinctly and beautifully. Um, I said in the first service that the experience of Jude is kind of like being shot out of a cannon um, and then landing in like a huge bowl of um, vanilla yogurt. Um, which, we got a few more laughs in the first service on that one. You didn't let it hit for very long. Yeah, but, I didn't, um, I didn't. Because Jude starts hot and heavy and fast and kind of roars past you, and then it kind of ant, it kind of lands uh, gently, beautifully, um, kind of cool and maybe more vanilla uh, flavor than you're expecting. Um, which maybe we'll be able to unpack that today. But yeah, when Jay told me we we're going to do this, we've been we have been vibing on this uh, back and forth, and so to get to um, unpack it together this morning is going to be fun. So. So some, just some brief context, um, last week was uh, verses, a lot of Old Testament examples of um, God's justice toward evil. Um, lots of examples, God is serious about his holy justice. And, um, but, God, but the letter's not written to false teachers. He was addressing the reality of false teachers in the church. But contextually, we have to understand that Jude is written to faithful Christians. This letter is written to us. And there are three things in particular uh, that Jude will exhort the church in today uh, in our passage. And so Greg and I are just going to work through those three kind of big bucket items. And the first is he calls them to remember that the apostles foretold that false teachers would come in and infiltrate the church. And so he exhorts them to remember that reality. Uh, secondly, he exhorts them in the next few verses to uh, learn what it means to build up your own faith, to persevere in hard times and in hard seasons, seems relevant to 2020, uh, to build up your faith, to keep yourself in the love of God. And then thirdly, he calls them to the ministry of mercy to others. As you have been shown mercy, be merciful. So those are the three um, kind of big buckets that Greg and I will work through today. And so, um, Greg, if you would just read the passage, uh, and then we'll work through those, unless you had another intro thought to offer. No, let's get into it, for okay. sure. So this is Jude 1, 17 to 23. Yeah. This is where he kind of turns to us, and is talking to us. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, and they follow mere natural instincts, and they do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Um, so as we're reading this, like Jason mentioned, we'll see, we'll see remember, we'll see build up, and we'll see mercy. So if we start with remember, um, this little quote that he brings here is not unique to Jude. It's almost verbatim captured in 2 Peter. Um, 
Paul writes this way to Timothy very clearly. And if you want to go back to a narrative moment in the book of Acts, if you were to, if you were to go to um, Acts chapter 20, verse 29, you'll find Paul on a dock um, with some of the believers, I think from, from the, um, the church in Ephesus, and he's saying goodbye to them. And right there, when he's saying goodbye to them, he's about to go to Rome. He knows he's not coming back, and he's, he's crying and through tears. He's talking to them and exhorting them and encouraging them. And he goes, I know that as soon as I leave, wolves are going to come into your midst. They're going to tear you apart. And um, the thing is, um, the people that Jude is writing about, the people that Peter rails against, the people that, the people that Paul is, is warning them about, um, they're not coming in in a way that's anti-grace or anti-Jesus, or anti-Christ, meaning opposite. So they're not coming in and, and coming into these churches and going, um, no, Jesus, there's no Jesus. Like, I, I carved this thing in my backyard. This is actually Jesus. We should call him Bar Jesus. Like, they don't, that's not what's happening. They're coming in, and they are a degree off from truth. It's what you see in, in Revelation when you, when you listen to John write about the reality of the spirit of the Antichrist. It's going to raise up in the world and then be kind of encapsulated in a person. It's not anti-Jesus opposite. It's Antichrist a degree, a degree away. And for any of us who took um, geometry, we know that as that plays out, the gap and the distance between that way and the way of Christ is enormous as it plays out. But it starts with just a whisper, um, half-truth. And what they're doing, like Jason mentioned, is they're coming in and they're, I don't even know if they intend to be false teachers, but they are distorting the reality of the costly grace of Christ's suffering on a cross that sets us free not to live a life of sensuality, doing whatever I want, with whatever I want, and saying whatever I want, whenever I want, because his forgiveness has got me. But the reality is he paid for me to fall in love and become curious about what it means to be made holy. They're distorting that so ever so slightly by stretching grace to a breaking point and, and bastardizing it. That's what Jude is railing against. That's what Paul's railing against. It's, it's, it's that degree difference. It's not they're coming in with signs being like, there was no Jesus. He didn't live. And that's why he writes the way that he writes in here. If you were listening last week or here last week, Jude's not writing to a specific church. He's writing to the church. So he goes, this is what it smells like when that starts to take root. It smells like Balaam. It smells like people making fun of and resisting authority. Not going to God's word, but going to their ideas and their dreams about God's word. Um, on and on and on. He give, he's trying to give them a taste and a smell of what this um, degree of separation is so that it can be nipped in the bud early so that it doesn't cause the destruction of the whole body, just the way that yeast causes the whole batch to rise. So I love that part of it. And um, he starts by just going, here's, here's what it is. In the last times, so last times, we're there, he was there. There will be scoffers or mockers um, who will follow their own ungodly desires. They are not following the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ, the risen liberator. They are following their own ungodly desires or their own appetites. Um, and they can make it sound spiritual. Because if you look earlier, he goes, he goes their, their authority, what they rely on is their dreams. You talk to somebody about their dreams, that can sound super spiritual. But the reality of what he's addressing here is they are ungodly and unspiritual, even though they might sound that way. Yeah, he makes a statement in verse 19 about natural instincts. And so we want to just spend a little time 
juxtaposing uh, living by our natural instincts against what it means to live by the leadership and the guidance and the lordship of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, they are uh, under the authority of their subjective dreams, and they are under their own instinctive, natural instinct. I think Jesus had a few things to say about that. Yeah, super dangerous to rely on your instinct or to hope that your conscience is going to be a good barometer for you. Um, super dangerous. That, that Jesus captures that in the most beautiful way. Like we, like so, he is in his creation. If you watch a duck and you watch the weather get warm, a duck's natural instinct will guide that animal to the right place. It'll head south. Um, you watch a fish that was, that was, it doesn't matter. Animals have this beautiful hardwired instinct, but as a man born into a sinful creation under the fall, the reality of my instincts is that they are not to be trusted and certainly not to be obeyed. It's why Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is so confusing to understand. He goes, he goes hey, if somebody smacks you across the side of the face, Pause. Pause. Just put yourself there for a second. You are, you are in Target or you're in a hardware store and it's a warm day. You left your kids in the car. You know your grandparents were allowed to do that, but you're not allowed to do that, but you're not telling anybody. It's like, it's not going to be that long. You got something quick to do and somebody bumps into you or whatever. This is going to be from a man's perspective. Somebody bumps into you and you're like, excuse me. And they're like, what? And they try and, you know, it just starts getting aggressive real quick. And you're not trying to have that, but you also don't have time for this. And then they smack you across the face. You're like, I don't need to say it. Pause. <laughs> what are you going to do? What's your natural instinct there? Girl? Instinct. Okay, you got fight, flight, or freeze. I'm going to lean into one of those real hard. Um, in that moment, um, this is really what's in me. Like, I think I would instinctually grab a dude by the scruff of the shirt, put my leg behind his calf muscle, throw him down. So now he's flipping backwards into the opposite shelving. And then I'm stomping on him a little bit. Um, <laughs> And then I'm like taking the little nut that I was trying to buy to put on the, the drawer of my thing. So it was falling out. I just stole a 49 piece of hardware. I'm, I'm out the door. And I'm the guy who's preaching today. And that's my instinct play on Jesus. He goes, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. He goes, you've heard it said if you commit adultery, so you follow all the way through. You commit adultery, you're in error. He goes, I say to you, if you even think about it, you're wrong. Jesus is not about us honing in on our instincts at all. He is about giving us the mind of Christ, putting to death my flesh and raising me a new, a new man yeah. that was purchased by his death and then proved and sealed by his resurrection. So if I ever, Greg, if you get to thinking that Jesus is about making me, Greg, comfortable, which is what my instinct wants, mm. I have missed him. The one who says, if you try and save and protect your life yourself, you lose it. You lose your life for me, you find it. Daily you must take up a cross. And those come in the middle of the night, betrayed by a friend, when you were begging for another way. Mm. That's the reality of the, of the invitation of Christ. And that's why if we, if, we, if we listen to people who say what we wanna hear, protecting self, getting mine, about me, which is our instincts, we have missed the way of Jesus, even if they make it sound spiritual. Um, and, and they divide. That's the thing that I, he just goes, these are the ones, um, these are the men who divide you. And they follow mere natural instincts. And then he, he says, and they do not have the spirit. And if I, I want to just jump for a second, if that's okay, yep. Jay, yeah, to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
Because when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, he says something real cool that I think helps us in this. And the reason I wanna jump to Corinthians is because um, when we're studying scripture or looking at it and trying to understand it, the best way to understand or true, true your understanding of a passage of scripture is to bring other scripture into play. And you sharpen your understanding of scripture with scripture as opposed to, well, this is what I think it means to me. That's dangerous. It's why Jesus answered Satan with it is written as opposed to, here are my thoughts. Um, and so if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter three, this is what Paul writes to a group of people. And he goes, he goes, I wanted to talk to you as spirit filled, but you're not, you're worldly. And then he goes, here's how I know that you're worldly. And it's remarkably simple. I wanna show it to you. Um, brothers, sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, just infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? And this is, this is my crazy translation. For when one says, I follow Trump, and another, I follow Biden, are you not mere men? That is a crazy translation. Crazy translation. Yeah. It actually says Paul and Apollos. Paul, whose words became canon. Paul, who was indeed filled with the Holy Spirit. Not a bad guy to lump, to lump in with. He, however, goes, you are getting distracted. Christ before, Christ behind, Christ within, Christ beside. What am I? What's Apollos? And the reality is I, Greg, I get lazy and I sink in with the world when I abandon my post as a man of God and I start criticizing either a candidate or a president because they're not doing what I think the Lord has called us to do. And the reality is the invitation of bringing Christ to the forefront in our nation is on the church, not a candidate, not a president. And it's my laziness that makes me fall into deciding who I'm gonna lump with. And then the, the reality is if my allegiance there starts to chafe a brother here or it chafes our unity here, and I've forgotten that my citizenship is first in heaven and not with this country, and that my allegiance is first to a Lord and not a candidate or a president, woe unto me. I have lost step with the spirit and sunk into worldly, trivial, quarreling matters. That was so good for me, because I love to criticize, but you know what I don't do? Weather my pants on the knees in prayer for my nation and the leadership of my nation. And so I abandon my post as a man of God when I fall in with the world. And that's how he goes, I can tell you're worldly, because you're quarreling about, it doesn't mean I'm not gonna, it doesn't mean you can't vote or have an opinion, but woe unto me if it comes between a brother or a sister in Christ, whether I like, woe unto me if I forget Christ as Lord, Christ behind, Christ before, Christ behind, Christ within, Christ beside. I love that. It was so yeah. convicting to me. Yeah, this is the reality of the supremacy of Christ. I mean, even in that passage in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, uh, perhaps Apollos 
planted the seed and I watered it, but only God can make it grow. I mean, it's just he's so passionate to not have people place all of their faith in themselves, but to truly like lift your eyes up to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Uh, and then just thinking about the transition now, Greg, into this next uh, verse, but you, like he's talking about uh, mere men, natural instincts, they do not have the spirit, but you, do, but you church, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this juxtaposition between living uh, by the Spirit or living by our uh, worldly or fleshly instincts. Um, praying in the Spirit. Sounds like we should know what that means. But yeah. It's a mean um, to like pray in the Spirit. Do you mind if I say one more thing yeah. about instinct? No. I want to go to the next one, but... Um, it is really difficult to bend your life to obey Christ when you are hardwired with instincts. It's real hard. Um, you're in an argument with someone, if it's your spouse, and they say something, and to not say what you want, to wound them, to spar right then, but to hold your tongue, super difficult. And I, I mentioned this in the earlier service, and I want to mention in this one because I just want to, I just want to air my own reality of trying to work this out. Like, um, I grew up in the Southeast, hunting was a part of my childhood, and so I am an owner of firearms. And um, when I think about my, my role as a husband and a father in my home, um, one of the ways that I've wrestled with this reality of trying to bend my life to obey Jesus versus live out of my instinct is I don't sleep with a firearm next to my bed. I don't have a pistol, I don't have a shotgun next to my bed. They're locked in a gun safe in the garage. And here is why. Um, I believe that Jesus Christ keeps watch over my life and my home, that I am in the palm of his hand and no one can snatch me from there. And if he were to allow an individual of malintent to come into my home, a, a wounded, hurting, angry, violent soul, I know that if I had at my means the measures to respond instinctually that I would. I'm hoping that if I don't have right at my hand the means to respond instinctually that I will raise in that moment up and the spirit of Christ might rise forward and be salt and light to a brother who is desperate for it. And my hope is that the spirit of Christ is more effective than a bullet in turning a life. And so I live in this risky place um, and that is the reality of following Jesus. And that is the accusation. You're a fool, Greg. You're darn right I am. Try and follow Jesus and not be labeled a fool. And so like, I'm just, the, the reality of trying to follow Christ and respond in a way that looks like a cross, middle of the night, wasn't expecting for it, begging for another way. That's how Jesus chose to assault the villainy of sin in humanity. And he calls us to follow him in the same way. It's just that weird wrestling out of like, how do I do this? Bend my life to accommodate you as opposed to bending scripture to agree with me. Moving on, um, build yourselves up. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. The best way that I know to, to, to unpack that is to find other places in scripture that talk that way. And so if you, if you look at Colossians um, chapter two, verses six and seven, Colossians two, six and seven, um, 
This is what Paul says to that church in Colossae. Um, He says, so then, just as you received Christ, just as you received him, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The way that I received Christ is I became aware of my need for a rescue and I cried out. Confession and repentance. It's how we come to Christ. His kindness leads us to repent. If we live lives marked by confession and repentance, walking in a visceral awareness of my need for a rescuer, we guard ourselves from thinking too highly of ourselves. We protect humility. So, so that's what he's saying. Like, that's one of the ways that we build ourselves up is actually by remaining in a lowly understanding of my need for a rescuer. Confession and repentance. And he ends it with the other one. Overflowing with thankfulness. Cultivating a life that is marked by looking for and naming the grace and favor of God around me. Gratitude. That's two very practical ways that you actually can effectively build yourself up in Christ. The other one is captured um, in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And you can look at it on your own. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 uses the exact same language and gives us one more piece, I think, to the puzzle. When you think about praying in the Spirit, so build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Spirit. Um, sounds cool. Sounds spiritual. Like if, I, if you were like, Greg, how was your morning? I'm like, oh, man, brother. <laughs> Been praying in the Spirit Been all morning. Been praying in the Spirit all morning. You're going to be like, cool. What, what a, me too. Uh, whatever. Um, I love making things practical. And so the, the, when I was praying about this, I was like, Lord, what? Am I supposed to be like, mm, 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 mm. is that praying in the Spirit? Like humming like a worship song and feel, like feeling it? Um, what I think it is, is if you look in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us his picture of a person who's dressed themselves and they're ready for combat. They're ready to get beat up. They're ready to do some, they're ready to do some beating up. And they're wearing all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that they're holding is a sword. Ephesians 6, he goes, you have to take the sword of the Spirit. And you're like, okay. It's the only actual weapon that's named in Scripture for us as believers in the New Covenant, the sword of the Spirit. And he happens to define it for us. He goes, which is the Word of God. You want to pray in the spirit, you pray the word of God. You pray the word of God. Um, and that, that has been, um, instead of me demanding that a person or an individual obey Jesus and, and lift Christ up in my nation for me, I must be the one who prays scripture over policies that I'm passionate about, scripture over realities that disturb me, scripture over lives that are marginalized and need a voice to cap. Like that is the reality of praying in the spirit and cutting things away that have started to like a cancer surround. That's what it is to pray in the spirit. It's why Jesus, I mentioned this earlier, but it's why Jesus, when he's dealing with Satan face to face after 40 days of temptation, he responds to him not with, here are my thoughts, Satan. He goes, it is written. The word, it is written. Three times, it is written. He is engaging by the spirit and the word of Christ is the sword of the spirit. You wanna pray in the spirit? You pray the word. You pray the word, you let it dwell in you richly, you let it come out of you. Uh, that, I'm thankful for that because otherwise it feels a little willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really practical and helpful uh, to think about praying in the Spirit is just in agreement with the Word of God. Uh, and we can proclaim that over our, ourselves, our lives, our families, our relationships. We can pray in the Spirit over all of our circumstances. We 
find scripture and we believe it and we say amen and amen to it. It's just like, yes, Lord, I agree. And I'm going to speak that over the things that are important. And I love like even the dedication, like I love that reality of inviting parents, me as a parent to think like, what's a passage of scripture that you are claiming and praying over your children? The same way that in the Old Testament, when Jacob blesses his 12 sons, what he said happened. It wasn't like a, hey, here's some nice thoughts for you for the next five minutes, you'll forget them in a second. What Jacob spoke happened. And over my boys, just like some of the parents who we just saw scriptures, I have passages of scripture over my boys that it is helpful for me not to just hope that they become men of character, but to name over them scripture, to hem them in from every side, that they would grow up into Christ. Like it's so helpful to know that that's praying in the spirit and not just like a cop out, that that's, that's the good work. Um, Keep, if we keep going. Yes, uh, third, third big point. Mercy. Um, mercy. Um, verse 21, keep yourself in God's love, which, which I, I think is beautiful because at the very beginning of the book, uh, the promise from Jude was that, the, uh, that we are kept by Jesus Christ, that he is keeping you. Uh, and in the same way, keep yourself in God's love. Uh, persevere in the Lord as he has kept and secured you. And then he says, um, um, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 22, be merciful, receive mercy, be merciful. It's this idea of mission, it's ministry, it's the mission of the church to show mercy. I mean, all these realities in the middle of the um, book of Jude is uh, all of these right judgments from Jude, from the Lord against um, sin. Like, and it's, um, but at the end of the book, Jude's like, go be merciful to them. Go show them the love of the Father. And I think that's really an important thing to, um, to grasp onto. And so we want to talk a little bit about mercy and make a distinction between being judgmental and making a right judgment. And those are two very, very different things that we want to try to unpack. Yeah. Um, like Jason mentioned, he goes, mercy, wait for it. Mercy, be merciful. Mercy, show mercy. Um, the reality is we are kept in Christ's love, not as we wait on his judgment over our lives. Woe unto me if I am judged by the measure with which I judge. Lord, you just saved me. And he does. And that's the gospel. So I wait for his mercy. There cannot be, however, mercy without a judgment. You cannot have mercy without a verdict. And I'll explain that in a second, but he goes, so he goes, now that you know, if you remember that you're waiting on God's mercy, which is to say, I am, I am walking in a pretty regular awareness of my need to be rescued. That makes me a person who is not arrogant and judgmental. The church has always been called, Christians have been called to be men and women who can make a right judgment about something. Discern between good and evil, discern between right and wrong, discern between truth and, and frayed truth. But do not be judgmental. And the, the reason is, um, if you are certain of what you know to be true about something, a judge cannot extend mercy until the verdict. If, if a judge sees somebody is um, guilty, but rules them innocent, that's the verdict. Innocence is, the, but if he goes, if in their guilt, he then gives a lenient um, sentencing because he is extending to the guilty mercy. That is where mercy lives. Mercy lives and triumphs over judgment because judgment is the foundation of mercy. 
You cannot be merciful to a brother or sister in Christ if you don't know what you think about their behavior, their life, what Christ says about, about how they're living and what they're trying to talk to you about. You will be undecided. You will be wishy-washy. You might even condone and in trying to love them, you might condone, but you're not extending mercy. If you see that, there's, that their life is mired in sin and it disturbs you, and even in the midst of that, you press in and love them, that is mercy. That's mercy. Christians have always been called to make a right judgment about things, to sift and to discern, and then to extend mercy to those just like me who deserve judgment, punishment, guilt, all of it, but because I've tasted it, I now know how to offer it. I've been waiting on God's mercy, and so I sure as heck know how to offer it. So he goes, be merciful to those who doubt. So they're wavering, doubting, wavering. Snatch others from the fire. If you are in the fire, you're in a rough spot. You might, you might like it, like you might be like, yeah, but you are either destroying actively yourself or the church or both. And he's, and he's encouraging us to snatch them from the fire. Um, and to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. I want to unpack that for a second. Um, if, you, if you remember the, prodigal, the, the parable of the prodigal son, when he comes home, which is him rightly understanding the wrong, so he understands the verdict. He's coming home, and he's coming home in a meek, humble, contrite spirit. One of the first things the father does is trade out his clothes. He smells like filth. They have been stained with filth. And it's not a judgment. It is a mercy to have someone strip off the, the rags and the smell of a sin life and throw over you their own jacket, their own coat, and put a ring on you. It's not a judgment to hate the clothing that has been stained by corrupted flesh because the cost is on me to find a way to clothe them instead. Mercy. Mercy triumphs or overclothes judgment. It's so beautiful. And when you think about uh, Les Mis, the beautiful play, and Jean Valjean, the criminal, goes into a church and he's taken care of by a priest and the priest meets his needs and takes care of him. As he's leaving, he steals, he steals some silver goes back on the road. A police captain catches him. He hears the story. He's like, yeah, right. Brings him back to the priest. Jean Valjean now knows he's caught. He, what he did was wrong. Now what's going to be the ruling? And the priest meets him in it, sees him in it. He stole some articles from the church. And the priest goes, oh, no, 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 no. Also the candlesticks. Why didn't you take these? These are far more valuable. Like I, I told you to and so the police captain's thrown off, mercy is extended to Jean Valjean, and you watch his life turn. It's the reality of the gospel. We are guilty, and it's not, under, it's not until we understand the ruling and the verdict that we can receive the mercy and the welcome of a king who paid all to snatch me out of the flames and bring me home to himself. It's, I love it, I love it so much, it's so rich. Yeah, I think the... The call there for Jude is this, as you have been shown mercy, as you are waiting for mercy, be merciful to others. And I think what's practically helpful for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, is um, we can't shy away from making right judgments. And again, what Greg said was um, to make a right judgment and then to show mercy. 
To swing it the other way is to make a right judgment and be judgmental. That's right. And that turns everybody off. But to make a right judgment and to show mercy is the aroma of the kingdom of heaven and just this visual of uh, the prodigal son. I mean, I think of the story of Zacchaeus and what happened in his house. It was mercy. That's right. And it changed him. It changed him. Um, And it changes me. And I pray it changes you. The mercy and the grace of Jesus as we walk in it, wait for it. We extend it to others Um, because if God has extended it to me, I am called to extend it to others. And with Zacchaeus, did Jesus have thoughts, strong thoughts about his own countrymen betraying one another and extorting money for them for an oppressive government? <laughs> Probably. Did he have thoughts about that? Yes. Does he withhold them initially with both Levi and Zacchaeus? You bet he does. Does he have thoughts about my life right now that he is sitting on until I'm ready to hear it? You betcha. So then is it right or wrong for believers to hold their tongue having made right judgments, discerning the times, discerning between good and evil, but waiting for a moment when a word, a pearl, could be received as such instead of swatted away. It's harder to live by the Spirit than it is to live by natural instinct. It's easy to argue, criticize, and all all the things that the Lord's been speaking to me in this. Harder to wait, watch, offer, and beat the ground with prayer instead of beating my neighbor with my words. Harder but better. Oh, better. It's the, it's the way uh, it is spirit-led versus instinct-led. Yeah. Um, we got we to close up. Got to. Yep. We're at the end. We we're did it. 35 minutes. Yes. Um, Greg, would you pray uh, over our church worship team? You're welcome to come back up. We're going to sing one song to close, but um, Greg, pray us. Pray for our people. I will. Jason mentioned something last week that I thought was good. His one-liner was, is your faith gritty enough? Is your faith gritty enough to hear hard words and be transformed instead of be offended and erect a little Jesus of your own who's nicer to you as he leads you on a wide ambling path towards destruction? I love that because I need that. I need, I need a gritty faith that has a resiliency within it to be able to bounce back when my father speaks a word to me that calls me out, calls me to the mat, calls me higher up instead of collapsing and whining like some pathetic child who can't handle discipline. And this, studying this has been a disciplinary experience for me. Um, But I want to smell like Jesus. And there is a quote from a guy named Oswald Chambers, and he says, when Christ bids a woman, when Christ bids a man, come, follow me, he bids her, he bids him, Come and die. That is the reality of following Jesus. And any truth or gospel that errs from that, even to a degree, is hellfire. That is good for me to remember when all I want to do when I wake up in the morning is protect myself. Lord, um, your word is rich and it is sharp and it stings and it, and it wraps and covers and heals Would you help me, help us, Jesus, to be affected by your word and filled with your word that we might be the aroma of Christ to a writhing, dying nation, world, and my neighborhood. Christ in me, Christ before me, Christ behind, Christ beside. 
My citizenship is to another place. And so I lift my eyes there. Jesus, would you unify us? Amen.